Marlow, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today's broadcast with the government actually getting one right. The broken clock thing, I guess. It appears by busting a secret Chinese police force operating in the USA. Yes, that is real. And we kind of knew it was happening, but still uh, surprising to see government actually do something about it. Uh, rarely does that happen. It really, really is pretty rare where they do something maybe good. So we'll keep an eye on it to see if there's more to the story than meets the eye. But uh, you'll hear all the news on the subject matter at the top. Before we get into the Republicans' 2024 messaging, the conversation has largely shifted nationally to abortion and guns, which are not slam dunk issues in purple states, electorally speaking. And Ron DeSantis is all of a sudden seeming to have lost his fastball, at least temporarily. And Republicans are trying to draw attention to violent crime. We'll check in to see on how they're doing. Meanwhile, illegal aliens are still committing violent crime across the country. And we bring that up as well in the opening of the broadcast. Our guest today is Adam Brandon. He's the president of FreedomWorks. We don't tend to do a lot of hand-wringing on the broadcast about the national debt, but the debt ceiling debate is afoot in D.C., and so it is time for one of our periodic check-ins on waste and abuse in our federal government. Uh, We get his thoughts on what Republicans are angling for in this negotiation and if there is a chance they're going to get any of it. And, of course, we ask the age-old question, are we headed to economic ruin? You'll have to listen to the interview to get Adam's take. Let's get into it. I think the most interesting story that is transpired over the last 24 hours might be that the uh, alleged Chinese agents arrested for operating a police station in the middle of New York City. Now, this is something that we've been tracking for the last six, eight months or so. Um, In September, a NGO called Safeguard Defenders uh, alleged that China had established dozens of illegal police stations around the world in places like America, Canada, Japan, Brazil, and Spain, as well as other places, and they were mostly using these quote-unquote police stations to intimidate and silence dissidents, Uh, so people who were Chinese nationals and were either dissenting from the Communist Party or refusing to return to China to either face some sort of punishment that was already supposed to be uh, against them. Uh, There's also other things that they were trying to use, uh, the loopholes from the coronavirus to try to avoid some try to avoid something try to avoid uh, getting a return to the country to follow up on on something uh, and due to that um, uh, for example you know their driver's licenses stuff like that and a lot of them have uh, tried to take advantage of the system and to dissent from the party, the CCP, or the PRC, if you want to call it People's Republic of China. And there's been a crackdown taking place. There's also there's two activities that are going on. It's not just the trying to uh, harass and intimidate, um, but a lot of it goes online as well, where the group allegedly has created thousands of fake online personas and social media sites, including Twitter. And uh, these 
this is what the DOJ has told us, that the those Twitter accounts are targeting Chinese dissidents through targeted campaigns. Um, so it's actually using its national police or actual Chinese police to essentially troll persons of Chinese origin from exercising free speech, which is a right they have in America where they are, because that speech would be either at a minimum disagreeable, but if not, would be you know illegal in China. So these accounts are spreading massive amounts of online propaganda, uh, and they also would sow division within our country because this is taking place here. It's also noteworthy of all of the obsession about misinformation, fake information online, that this does seem to be something that even for me seems to be, uh, I would say, underreported, underdiscussed, etc., and something that is clearly happening on these major platforms without it being front and center in people's minds. So you would think that, you know, Russian disinformation is such a huge problem. Conservatives saying anything accurate about coronavirus is a big problem. But Chinese police trying to harass people who are in America using their free speech rights on platforms like Twitter are the subject of massive online harassment campaigns from the Chinese government, Chinese police. Uh, One of the individuals who's been charged, someone named Julian Jin, Francis Martel writes for us at Breitbart News, allegedly served as a primary liaison between the unnamed American telecommunications company that's in the DOJ report and the Chinese Communist Party. And in that capacity, he regularly responded to requests from the PRC government to terminate meetings and block users on one of the company's video communication platforms. So the DOJ has kept this one country a, a mystery who, I'm sorry, one company a mystery. But you see the pattern of what's going on is that China does consider one China to be imply the United States. Is anyone keeping score of what's going on in China? But we're keeping score of Breitbart. Let me read this summary that Francis includes in most of our, our reporting on China and topics like this. China is a totalitarian communist state currently engaging in genocide against the ethnic Turkic people of East Turkestan. Beijing has also also extensively documented to be engaging in ethnic cleansing activities against Tibetans and Mongolians. In addition to persecuting individuals who do not conform to the dominant Han ethnic group, People of faith face extreme violence and oppression in the country. The Communist Party regularly bulldozes churches, disappears imams, and kills Falun Gong practitioners to sell their organs. And they're also, not to mention, in New York City with a secret police force to harass people who are here. So, noteworthy, this is taking place. Uh, Will there be any consequences? No, probably not. Be minimal. Um, this is a a attack on freedoms of people who are living in our country. And all of it is designed to enforce authoritarianism uh, that China wants to impose on its own people and eventually everyone else around the world. 
And it's not just here. It's all over the place. We will continue to, to track this. Um, even Democrat Seth Moulton, who's a very odd guy, he gets actually a lot right and a lot very wrong. He shows up on CNN a lot. I think he likes seeing himself on TV. Did he run for president for five minutes last time? I think he did. Uh, he said that we actually knew about these for a long time and it shouldn't have taken us this long to act. Wow, that's heartening. Imagine the Bidens moving slowly on China. You know, this is a thing now, is that whatever is hot in the news that's going on on Twitter or whatever, Twitter's going to get asked to censor on behalf of whichever regime is in charge. But if you've got Chinese police on the platform harassing people who are dissidents or would-be dissidents, then it takes months and months and months and months and months uh, to get the bottom of it to even start addressing it. All right, so that's the biggest thing that's going on. A lot else going on, uh, politically speaking. Um, I want to kind of try to paint a bigger picture of how things are going politically, and I want people's assessment if Republicans, who presumably make up the majority of this audience, uh, how, you're, how do you think things are going as we emerge from sort of the chaotic fog of 2022 election season and head towards 2024, which of course starts earlier because it'll be presidential year? Because we got some fundraising numbers, Democrats' campaign arm outraises Republicans by nearly $12 million the first quarter. And uh, they're, they're doing this, I think, a lot of ways because, you know, Trump's back in there. They have new villains, Kevin McCarthy, Ron DeSantis. They've got other people they can demonize. Uh, they're making it seem as though Republicans are fixated on certain issues that are really, really important single issues for Democrats. Abortion comes to mind. Now, anyone who listens to this show for more than two or three consecutive episodes will have heard me say, I, I am not someone in the camp who thinks Republicans should back off the abortion issue because I think that when you're saving lives, uh, that that is more important than whatever is the next political electoral season. But it is worth considering if whether or not focusing on issues like that uh, is a political winner. And I mentioned a few states where you had governors focus on the issue who are Republicans and do well. Uh, Iowa, Georgia, and Ohio come to mind. But it could be a regional thing. As a national issue, it's very motivating towards Democrats. It definitely gets the Hollywood liberals to open up their pocketbooks, for example, and the Silicon Valley liberals. And this is one of the tricks that the Democrats have figured out. And I think it's a huge reason why Kamala Harris, for example, is on the ticket as the vice president of the United States, is because she's able to fundraise from these people. Very good at it. So I'm curious if we think Republicans are over the target because now they're now getting out earned by Democrats. They uh, Democrats overachieved in 2022, and is this is the slate of issues that's shaping up? Um, how, how is it going? The Democrats are also pretty effectively, at least in terms of the media, attacking the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas, in particular, has been attacked for his wife, Jeannie Thomas, who's a conservative activist. She seems kind of swell in my book, but uh, again, it's the she's also someone who is a new supervillain for the left. 
Um, you've got Clarence Thomas, I guess, was apparently accepting lavish trips, which I couldn't care less about. Uh, uh, whatever they're paying Supreme Court justices relative to the power they have in the country, it's a pittance. And if um, they're not supposed to be going on trips like this, like, I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not that worked up about it. It is newsworthy if it's happening. But I don't know how much I'm supposed to care. But still, every time this happens, this is just fundraising fodder for Democrats. And the media gleefully touts this. Comes up on shows like The View. You get far-left Democrats like Congresswoman Katie Porter, who got embarrassed on Bill Maher's show um, last weekend, saying that the Congress needs to police the Supreme Court over this stuff. Which is we're supposed to have separate but equal, equal branches of government. Sort of anti-constitution. Which would be a scandal when Democrats say stuff like this, that we basically need to have the Congress oversee our Supreme Court. You would think the constitutional scholars would be going, hey, wait a minute. But, you know, maybe on talk radio, but uh, otherwise, I don't know. Um, but again, they're going to use the abortion talking point in particular, and it's not really going to slow down. It seems like Florida is the next that's going to take on some sort of a heartbeat abortion bill, which again, I'm all for it, particularly in a vacuum. I'm just wondering if politically we all think it's a smart move. I do want to hear from people on that front. Um, yeah, the, the looking at Florida in particular has been really interesting because I think a lot of you guys know that uh, over the years, Breitbart, we've done just, just, Dozens and dozens and dozens of positive piece of content about Ron DeSantis, the governor there, and who may or may not be running for president. We think he is. I don't know. He probably should have declared six months ago, but uh, he he can't for whatever reason or hasn't. Uh, and now it seems like he's not as hot as he once was. He's getting attacked a lot by Trump supporters online for some reasons that are legit, some are less legit. And now it seems like he's having a few missteps in terms of his hyper-aggressive anti-woke agenda. Uh, the latest thing he pitched yesterday, I guess, is building a state prison near Disney World in Orlando. Now, now who goes to Disney World? Is it just a bunch of um, trans radicals? Or is it, you know, normal families? So why... Who is he dunking on if he wants to put a prison there? He also pitched taxing and putting toll roads, ramping up hotel taxes to try to make things difficult for the families who would patronize Disney World. Now, none of us like Disney. We're all highly irritated with Disney. Some of us are boycotting Disney, which I don't know how that's going. But I do know that I don't think that's the right approach if... That's what what is the plan is to to make Disney suffer. I don't know if it's to put a bunch of uh, felons next to the theme park, but yeah, that's what he's doing. And I'm just wondering what what's going on. Like, what happened to the guy who was couldn't miss for four years? Um, you know, we've reached out to him to come on the show. Not 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 particularly interested. I guess I'm sure he'll come on at some point. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, we saw these Bud Light boy boycotts that have been going on and 
Ron DeSantis' response to that is that he says he's a Guinness man. Well, Guinness is owned by Diageo. Diageo is a multinational conglomerate that had an ad during the, I think it was in the Super Bowl. Or no, it, or it might have been released just prior to the Super Bowl. But I think it may have even appeared during the Super Bowl, didn't it? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, they put out an ad that was, a, oh yeah, yeah, it was a Christmas ad where a trans father teaches his trans son to put his makeup on to promote some scotch. So we're now boycotting Bud Light, but we're going back to the company that has a really sort of um, saccharine, sweet, uh, just a corny ad of a grandfather relating his transness to his grandson. We're both. It's, you have to see it to believe it. Like why? Are we, why are we so sloppy now? I'm very concerned about this. If our best guys are making mistakes like this, then how are we going to do next time around? Um, there are some Republicans trying. The those in the House, um, I think, are doing a fairly decent job trying to hold some of the bad guys accountable. We talked quite a bit on yesterday's show about how yesterday there were some hearings, they've not taken place yet, in New York about victims of violent crime. Uh, Jim Jordan was torching Alvin Bragg for caring more about perpetrators of crime than victims at the New York City hearing. Noting soft on crime policies after the Trump indictment. It's hard to disagree with him. We see story after story in major American cities where the crime, the violent crime in particular, is just completely out of control. Uh, at the hearing, a New York City bodega worker uh, uh, recounted stabbing a man in self-defense. That was an ultra-viral video that uh, we had at Breitbart that was just incredibly viral piece of content took place last year. Guy's getting robbed and you stabbed a guy. Like, this is what it takes to have a little shop in New York City now. Um, I mentioned yesterday in the broadcast, a report that 327 shoplifters actually uh, account for 6,000 arrests in Democrat run New York city. The New York times pointed this out. Nearly a third of all shoplifting arrests in New York last year involved just 327 people. Collectively, they were arrested and rearrested more than 6,000 times. And then you've got guys like Bragg who are in charge backed by George Soros who have basically decriminalized shoplifting and petty crimes like that, which is the exact opposite of what cleaned up New York under Giuliani, which was broken windows policing, arresting people for jump and turnstiles, starting with a higher bar for the city. So uh, all you got to do is arrest these people, keep them arrested, prosecute them, get them off the street, and things immediately get better. But instead... The left is allowing good and decent people to get pushed out of the city. And they're rewarded by the Soroses of the world with checks. So uh, it, it is the, the left. The, the left's ideal now is a world where petty crime or regular crime, not even petty crime, even some violent crime is ignored. 
It's not just the petty stuff too. It's the it's bigger stuff too with because they don't like cash bail stuff like that. So Republicans seem like they get the picture on this one. Um with the Democrats who uh, with with the Democrats trying to make things about Trump constantly. So Democrats who were part of this hearing uh, mentioned Trump 38 times. Republicans didn't mention it until Elise Stefanik brought up Democrats' count was at 38 times. House Judiciary hearing. They act like the biggest and only criminal in the world is Donald Trump. It's not all these people who are actually you know, committing crimes that make things more difficult for people to live and work and exist in America's major cities. Some of, it, some of them are most iconic cities. Some Democrats claimed that crime victims were actually props of Republicans, which a lot of witnesses who had suffered either physically um, or emotionally or financially or all of the above were ooing and aahing in the room. So this was the Victims of Violent Crime hearing organized by House Judiciary Republicans. Adam Penselneck Schiff his real name, Republican, I'm sorry, Representative Democrat from California, called it a vain attempt to intimidate and embarrass the prosecutorial authority of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. No, it's, it's to tell the truth about what's going on. Zoe Lofgren, Democrat of California as well, notice the pattern says that the witnesses, including victims of crime, are being used for political purposes, despite their sincerity. Oh, wow. So all of you who were victims of crime, you're an idiot if you think that it's productive to testify to the public things are actually really bad. But how are cities reacting? The L.A. had a tight mayoral race with someone who's soft on crime and someone who's tougher on crime. They had a sheriff's race in L.A. County with someone who's tougher on crime, someone who's softer on crime. The softer on crime candidates are winning. By the way, L.A. Mayor Karen Bass is actually moved to hire a thousand additional cops. So I guess to fund the police is going away because she's a left wing to the point of near communism. And is still acknowledging that crime in Los Angeles is too bad, too embarrassing and to making things too difficult on residents for her to continue down this path. So she's actually trying to, to get new cops. And she's doing something something fairly clever, which she wants to uh, recruit the cops from historically black colleges. Now, I, I'm a meritocracy guy, so I think that police forces should be colorblind. But any of you who uh, have any knowledge of how L.A. works in this regard, they've been doing the affirmative action stuff in roles like this for 30, 40 years already, minimum. So they've always been recruiting minorities in general. Like that's that's not going to stop if they formalize it or not. It's always been that way. So they're recruiting all these new officers and they are the defund the police movement is allegedly because too many cops are racist. Then fine, go let's go recruit from historically black colleges. Sounds good. Put some more cops in the street if that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Um, Chicago's new mayor, or mayor-elect, Brandon Johnson, 
said the city should not demonize teens who violently rioted four nights in a row last week, which we've been tracking at Breitbart News. And new footage continues to come out, and it's shocking. You can't even believe it's America. But uh, just horrific footage, a lot of it's cell phone footage, uh, of groups you know, jumping on vehicles and rioting, breaking into stores. Semi-inexplicable. Any of you who are in the Chicago area, I'd love to hear any local perspective about what's going on. Groups jumping on cars, running across traffic. Teenage weekend chaos is how it's being described. And the mayor-elect says, hey, it's not constructive to demonize people who are violently rioting in the middle of the street, ruining the street, ruining a city. Um... He wants the city to work together to create spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly. Do you believe that that's the issue in Chicago? That there are enough spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly? Any of you have a trip plan in Chicago? Uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe has one coming up, and um, um, I might have to take her. Like, like that, that's the issue. Is that you, how, do you, how can you feel confident people are safe in cities like this? especially if it's unfamiliar to them. Grinds the country to a halt. But yet somehow, somehow this is not sufficiently motivating to voters to not vote Democrat. And the Democrats are on the march on other issues. They're really weaponizing the abortion issue. Let's see how that goes. Um, They're weaponizing the gun issue. Bill Clinton was out there saying to Joe Scarborough, that some people, clearly Republicans, are compelled to let kids die to keep freedoms. It's another bastardization of what this country's all about, is if freedoms are supposed to be the Second Amendment, supposed to not be infringed. It doesn't say Second Amendment, doesn't say the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, but when Bill Clinton identifies a scenario he's not happy with, then you can infringe. It's not what it says. So we either believe in the Constitution or we don't. Not to mention it's a false construct that uh, more guns means more kids are going to die. More good guys with guns, more armed security guards at school, more people who are trained in a community to stop the bad guys in their tracks, more successful law enforcement, that's going to be able to stop kids from getting hurt and killed. It's not all of a sudden, you know, having a, a blanket gun bans, whatever they want. Um, yeah, Elon Musk told Tucker Carlson that the U.S. government has access to Twitter users' direct messages. No kidding. So what do you think they're looking at? Are they looking at the, the Chinese spies? Or are they looking at the trying to harass people? Or are they looking at what? Republicans. Um, Musk did say something interesting that was positive. I like to say positive stuff about people who I say a lot of negative stuff about and vice versa. It's my contrarian streak. Uh, but he was saying that how Twitter, that how um, he's created this thing called open AI uh, in order to basically push back against Google's monopoly in the tech space. It's very refreshing to hear Big Shot say that stuff because Google can hurt anyone. There's no company that's damaged Breitbart more than Google. 
of all the stuff we're obsessed with trans and Twitter and Zuckerberg and his Dropboxes, uh, it, it is none of it. None of it compares to, you know, Fox being hostile to us. There's so many places I can complain about so many businesses, but uh, there's nothing even that compares to Twitter, like not remote. I'm sorry, Google, nothing compares to Google remotely. Google's censorship of conservative content with their woke algorithms that are designed to promote the establishment media and to uh, uh, discriminate against conservative media, which is often or usually more accurate. It's just been devastating, devastating for growth because Google is a search monopoly and they own a bunch of other businesses like they're the, one of the biggest you know, ad, ad networks in the world, if not the biggest. And the list of what they do goes on and on and on and it, they're only getting bigger. So, um, uh, Sundar Pichai is calling AI more profound than fire or electricity, Google CEO. Kind of a goofy thing to say. I don't know about that. That sounds like a lot. Let's let's see how that uh, uh, prediction ages. But, you know, it's nice to see Musk, for example, say, you know, if that's how it's going to be, well, then at least we could have something else. It's not controlled by the left-wing radicals at uh, Google who screwed up the search engines, made them uh, completely biased. Uh, Google is terrific if you want to figure out what key a Mahler symphony was in. If that's really something you, you want to do, Google is the fastest way to figure it out. Um, if, if you want to figure out what was the score of the game, uh, Google might help you get it a, a second or two faster than if you do not have Google. But if you're trying to figure out what actually happened in the news that day, good luck. You're getting, it's going to be cooked. All right, 866-95-PATRIOT. A couple other things I'll mention, then we'll turn to the phones. We'll have a big chunk of time for calls. A Fox News Dominion libel case set to begin today as we're recording this live. Mark Levin says the judge is biased and might not even be literate. And it's going to be a clown show. Now, as a news consumer, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll be tracking that. I'll try to give you guys some updates on how that's going. Pretty pretty big free speech case. And I'm just wondering uh, why it hasn't settled. It seems like there's a lot of evidence against Fox. It's already been made public. And I'm wondering who's holding out on the settling. Because Dominion's asked for $1.6 billion. Um, I can guarantee you Fox could hit a good number for them. So I'm wondering who's trying to save face more. So, uh, but if, if this thing goes all the way to the end without a settlement, then it could, could be a big payout from Fox. Uh, George Santos has announced he's going to run for Congress again. Another one where my, my heart breaks for the, for the country, this is happening. But as a news person, I find it very exciting and entertaining. So the, he's going back. I, you know, I'm always getting nervous about these seats that Republicans have, even if they've got a goofball in there, which Santos obviously is. Um, it's the, if, if Santos is, if he is not running, then do the Republicans just replace him or is, does it open up the seat more easily to Democrats? 
And how do you get too worked up about Santos when you see guys like John Fetterman walking around who returned to the Senate yesterday? And it was just an unbelievable scene. He gets out of an SUV. He's in shorts and a hoodie. Uh, He doesn't just have the hoodie on. He's got way too much stuff in the pouch of the hoodie. Uh, He walks around like a super awkward sixth grader. Even though he's nine feet tall and is bald and slumped over and kind of doing spins, walking very slowly. He looks incredibly unwell because he is unwell. And then again, I'll be told that, that, you know, it's really important that we get super fixated on Santos and never stop. So, I mean, I guess I prefer someone else, but it's the, it's hard for me to get, get too worked up, but I want to know if you got a take on that too. Feel free to weigh in. Um, Let's see, is that enough for now? Oh, no, I want to do a little border stuff. Half of the border crossers busted, busted New York City are not vaccinated against polio. You know, a lot of you who are the anti-vax crowd, I know some of you are in the audience, just know that you all benefit from the fact that we've hit critical mass of vaccinated people. I'm not talking about the coronavirus vaccine. I'm talking about all, all, all basic stuff like polio, which have clearly worked. Side effects minor and the benefits major. So a lot of people are not getting vaccines like that, like the polio vax. And that's fine for them because so many people are vaccinated that the chances of this generation or the next generation having to suffer from it is very minimal because so many people are already inoculated. But once you get to critical mass of people not inoculated, then the stuff comes back. So just know that you're free to do what you want. It's a free country. But just that is a that that will happen eventually, if we start punting on proven science because we're annoyed with Fauci or something. Then that is what we're inviting, and especially when you have an open border. And one of the main reasons you have a border is you keep out disease. We don't take the border seriously; thus, disease will flow in. So half the people bust in New York City are uh, unvaccinated for this disease. Just know the track that we're on. So we can revisit this in, I don't know, it'll be years, but it'll come up. I, I, I don't, it, that is regressive. It's regressive. And we should catch ourselves when we're being the regressive ones. The Democrats are regressive here by importing all these people and then allowing them to be bust all over the country. The most popular story right now, Breitbart, is a horrifying one. Illegal alien charged with running over and killing a six-year-old boy on a bike. Um... Julian Montoya, 19-year-old legal alien, arrested last week, charged with negligent homicide for driving without a license, allegedly running over and killing a six-year-old boy who was mentioned in media as Ian Mateo Garcia. Garcia was in a parking lot riding his bicycle. This was about 10 days ago. He was adjusting his bicycle seat, but an eyewitness saw Montoya speeding through the parking lot, coming around a corner and... That's it. Every one of these is inexcusable. There's your blood on the hands of anyone who wants the border open. Every single time, without exception. The amount of illegal aliens who should kill Americans should be zero. It's something we can control. All we have to do is make sure there's no illegal aliens. And then there will be no illegal aliens killing six-year-olds. Do I need to elaborate on that point?
Brandon is on president of Freedom Works, which has had a lot of longevity fighting for fiscal responsibility in Washington, which there's very it's very rare that people care about such things in Washington. There's a town of uh, neglect, abuse, overspending, etc. cetera. Uh, Freedom Works trying to fight the good fight and the debt ceiling is, I think, relevant now because we're on the verge of things really spiraling, I think, if we don't. Uh, we've only got a, a little, a small amount of time left, I think, to save any sort of fiscal sanity in this country, and I'm pretty pessimistic, per usual, that we're going to do that. Uh, but what does that mean? We'll get Adam's take, not just on the facts, but on where we go from here. Let's hear the interview. Uh, let's start with talking about the debt limit, the debt ceiling, which is a constant uh, discussion in Washington, and it kind of makes a mockery of both parties, but particularly Republicans, because it just does seem like this comes up and uh, we complain about it, we wring our hands about it, and then it just goes up and the debt goes up and it just seems like it is an easy way the Democrats score points every so often. Um, I, I know you guys take this very seriously at Freedom Works, and uh, you're trying to encourage Republicans to take a stand in some sense. But explain what goes on, explain what a debt limit is, why do we even have it, and why do we go through this ritual of talking about it only to raise it again, and and then finally give me what you think we should be doing. Oh, sure thing. So the debt limit years ago, uh, we set a debt limit, and this was during closer to time periods like World War One, World War Two, where you had a lot of money that was being authorized to be spent, but you still wanted to have a check on the overall spend. So the whole concept of the debt limit, it seems to me to be nothing more than it's an opportunity to pause and be like, okay, now we've hit this upper end of our credit card. Uh, what should we do about it? Now, throughout, throughout history, what the response has been, well, we hit the upper end of our credit card. Let's just raise the credit card rate or the, 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 the amount that we have on our card so that we can fit more spending in there. And as that's gone on and gone on, we go through this kabuki dance uh, just because spending. Look, Biden's last bill, we're looking at one point eight trillion dollars um, per year. Every Biden's uh, budget every year for the next 10 years, it's a trillion dollars plus. But it's not just Biden spending. You were actually, I think you said earlier about Republicans. This is cumulative Republican spending. Remember all those great big bills at the end of the year last year, a couple billion here, a couple billion there, a couple trillion, I mean. Um, that all adds up. So right now you hit the statutory limit where the federal government is not allowed to take on any debt without authorization from Congress. And so you have this dance where this money has been authorized by Congress. It has been spent. But this is an inflection point, and at some point, we're at $31 trillion right now, that's today. In 10 years, that's going to look like nothing. In 10 years, we're going to have over $50 trillion in debt. And at some point, you're going to have to pay that bill off, and you're either going to pay it through higher taxes or you're going to have to pay it through inflation. You're going to have to pay that off some way. So I'd rather we start dealing with the overall issue of spending now, um, not when it's $50 trillion and we have an economic collapse. Uh, when do you think the uh, economic, the real significant economic pressures kick in? Because it feels like this is another one where we talk a lot about it. And right. it's very insidious because it doesn't feel like day to day you necessarily feel the effects of it. Obviously, it is a part of uh, when you look at the massive inflationary periods, it has a, it plays a role in it. Uh, but for whatever reason, it just seems like we we never are forced to confront it. When do you think that inflection point comes in when we are forced to confront it? 
I think we're becoming very, very close to it because the, one of the fastest segments of our budget is just in, is paying interest. And in probably a short period of time, five years or so, we're going to be paying more on interest on our debt than we are for the military. And I tell this to people and remind them every single time you hear about China launching a new submarine or Russia rattling a sword here or there, or you hear about al-Qaeda regrouping in, the, in Libya or something, we're going to be spending more on interest on our debt than we can on the military. So that's number one. That should be a direct threat to our security. But at some point, investors around the world, I mean, someone has to buy this. Someone has to buy this couple trillion dollars every year. And at some point, if people look at it and be like, you know, that's a lot of debt. I think you've maxed out your credit card. Then what we have to do is massively raise interest rates just to sell our debt. And uh, we're complaining about interest rates in the you know, 7% right now. Imagine what happens if they're 27%. This is stuff that happens in places like Argentina and Greece all the time. And, and this is what erodes your ability to invest and erodes your ability to have confidence in your future economy. Well, and I think this is a major thing for me uh, that I'm witnessing is it just does feel like the current system um, is it, it's very intimidating to traverse from class to class. It just seems more difficult to get from the poor working class into the middle class and from the middle class and the upper class. And I find that when those incentives aren't there, then I, I do think that it's going to make people less ambitious and less progress is going to be made. And uh, I think you're already seeing it with this concept of quiet quitting. I think you see how uh, younger people just have no concept that they're going to be able to uh, be able to own a house or anything like that and, unless they inherit it from a parent or a grandparent or something. And so this concept of the American dream is, is sort of non-existent. I think a lot of it does have to do with some of these uh, the, the way the economy is structured at the moment, it just feels like it really favors the, the super wealthy. And uh, th that really is both parties that got us into this mess. Uh, do you agree with this concept? And if so, maybe help me put some uh, more detail around it. Uh, you know, I, I struggle because working at the, being the president of Freedom Works, we've always been more closely aligned with the Republican Party, uh, at least in the past. At least they paid lip service to my issues. Right, and correct. But it's coming harder and harder, and I've actually made a lot more flippant statements about um, sometimes I'm not sure if it's really valuable to have such a close alignment with, say, the GOP. Like this this debt ceiling, and, and I say my standard on it is you're, I, we at least need to negotiate a cup of coffee. Now, I would like a nice cup of coffee out of this negotiation, <laughs> but that's how high my standards are. Get something don't just roll it over because if, if you just roll it over without anything, any cut, any any change. I mean, my big dream, and I was uh, talking to Senator Mike Lee about this recently, is something called the RAINS Act, which would be, OK, we'll give you the debt ceiling, but we passed the RAINS Act in the House and the Senate. And what that does is that means that any single time a bureaucracy does something that has over $100 billion in, in impact, it has to get a vote. It has to get an up or down vote in the House and the Senate. And, uh, and to me, that would be a, re a fantastic reform you could get out of the debt ceiling that would then allow you to have a check on this unex just explosive growth of the bureaucracies. But if, you know, that, even if, if we can't even get that, you've got to start asking yourself, what's, uh, what's the point for Team GOP? 
And this is why I get irritated about the debt ceiling conversation, because it feels like the it, 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 we fight about it, we discuss it, it, maybe the government even gets shut down temporarily, and eventually Republicans cave because the media is on the side of, of the Democrats, and the Republicans can't take it, too much political blowback on this topic. And it just sends another. Uh, it sends another signal that it's game on. Uh, it's the is this time going to be different? It feels like the Republicans are getting the message that the base, the conservative movement, is not necessarily automatically with them on every issue like this, and they're holding them to a higher standard. So, kind of, a, let's go. I guess not big picture, but talk currently about this specific debate. Uh, you guys have some stuff on the table. What is it that's on that you're recommending, and what are the chances are that we can actually see something better than usually? Well, I'm actually optimistic we can see something better, and that's just because if you go back to this failure for this quote-unquote red wave to materialize, what ended up happening after that is this realization, I think, for House Republicans and Senate Republicans, is that 2024 is not lining up so great like they had hoped it would have been. And a lot of voters just failed to see a difference. Uh, we did some polling, and it said Republicans, Democrats, it doesn't matter. They've kind of rigged this system for themselves. And if that is the opinion of suburban voters in America, you can see why the red wave didn't work. So I think they know they've been talking a big game about spending. And frankly, Republicans, all they've been talking about is, is say, who's going to be the presidential nominee or abortion. This gives them an opportunity to switch gears and have a conversation on something that should be uniting the GOP, which is spending restraint. And when I look at, say, the moderate grouping in the, in the House of Representatives, I think it's called the Tuesday Group or, the, or, or there's something called Main Street you know, Partnership. These are your, where your real moderate Republicans live. They are all putting out the things that they want to see in the debt ceiling that, frankly, I could live with. And if the most moderate members are saying that, and they don't seem to be too far away from, say, the House Freedom Caucus, it leads me to believe there is potentially, this time around, unity in the House. And I expect you'll see them vote on something soon, maybe the next couple weeks. So because I think what Biden wants to do is have a last-minute June, if you don't vote for this debt ceiling, Wall Street and the world collapses. Well, by mid-end of April, if Republicans can actually pass a bill and say, hey, here's our negotiating point, Maybe you set it up that in May you start to actually have a deal. And again, I'm, I'm not that I'm setting my standard tie, but I'll take a cup of coffee at this point in exchange for, for the debt ceiling, just as long as you begin the process of, of starting Republicans being serious on negotiating about debt and spending. So what is your best case scenario? What's your worst case scenario in this debate? Well, the worst case scenario is pretty obvious to me is that you just do nothing. You pass an up, up you know, just vote up for the debt ceiling. And what would happen there is you'd have a handful of Republicans, you know, McCarthy would lose control of the caucus. You'd have a handful of Republicans vote with, with a bunch of Democrats to pass it. And at that point, you'd probably see Speaker McCarthy get challenged and the whole Republican um, House would start to unravel. Because I think everyone knows that, you'd have, a, a speak, you know, you'd have a, probably a challenge to his leadership. I think it's in his best interest and in everyone's best interest that you get something could it be unspent COVID funds get returned or canceled? I mean, there's still money left around from that first trillion Trump um, laid out back in uh, 19. Cancel all that unspent COVID cash. If it hasn't been put out the door, cancel it. Uh, and that to me could seem something, or there's a million other little different things you could tweak, but I think the unspent COVID monies, I mentioned the RAINS Act, these are actual substantive things that you could do that could set up further rounds. 
And by the way, I would only do a one-year extension, so this becomes the beginning of the negotiation, not the end of it. You know, one thing that you brought up is having a little more scrutiny when things tip the scales, 100, 100 million, whatever is the number. Uh, one yeah. of the things that has just bothered me ever since I got to Washington, which has to be about 10 years or so ago, is how we pass these omnibus bills. I, I yeah. know there's going right. to be some level of this, but when we're passing so many different appropriations at the same time, uh, of course stuff is going to get missed. And then you see that someone like Biden, who everyone underestimates him, but he's been in Washington for 50 years. He knows how things work. He just lays out a super ambitious agenda. Uh, he knows he's not going to get it through, but he gets two thirds of it through, and it's it, and he does it exactly this way. He lays out you know multi trillion dollar agenda, blows our minds with how uh, expensive this stuff is, and then when something passes that's seven hundred billion or whatever, we act like well it wasn't so bad, it could have been worse, and that's the whole trick. And I feel like we're getting rolled by this all the time. So I, I did some research, and the best I could find is the last time you passed all of your appropriation bills, and you've got you know thirteen of them to get through. Last sure. time you passed them on time, 1996, I was graduating yeah. high school. And yeah. since then, okay, you, you, you passed 10 of your bills and you got two or three left over and you put them in an omnibus bill. Okay. But when you put them in one giant omnibus, the amount mm -hmm. of crap, and, I'm, and I know I'm on the radio, otherwise the words I'd be using would be choicer <laughs> and four letters that get shoved into this bill that, by the way, the members have hours to read and review. That is, that is something that that's where a lot of the malfeasance in Washington happens. That's where a lot of the bad things just get tucked in in the middle of the night, and we find out about them later. And, and by the way, when that deal was set with, with Speaker McCarthy, one of the Republican demands was they wanted a chunk of time, say 72 hours, to review any piece of legislation before they vote on it. So if you go back to this, if, if Biden just ignores that and says, look, it's 1130 and at 12 o'clock, the country is going to default on its debts. That doesn't give you 72 hours to go back and look. So that, just keep that in the back of your mind for this whole debate as well. But I uh, believe that, that, that part of the, my other bigger fear is that when Congress abrogates all of its work to the bureaucracy, that undermines our republic. When the Congress um, it fails to do its bills on time and in, in proper votes, where people get to offer amendments, that further undermines our republic. And it, this way that you start doing one giant omnibus um, that is really not crafted by the members, but it's crafted by the House and Senate majority leaders, you, the, 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 the ranking, the, the two minority leaders, our system is not designed for four people and the president to pass the entire budget. And with our system right now, that's where we are. And when you say that, it's kind of shocking. It kind of stinks of... Uh, late Roman Republic, if you look back at history. It sort of does, and this is something we need to keep very close, very close eye on, but I just don't know if I trust people to have the uh, have the gumption to, to weather the media storms that are inevitable. So, uh, the, uh, Adam Brandon, again, Freedom Works. Uh, for this particular negotiation that's going on, do you, do you, I know you're optimistic, but do you have a prediction? Do you think there is something realistic that the Republicans can put on the table and say, we need this, and they think they can actually get it. What I think they're going to get something. I think they have to get something. And again, they're, I think what I'm seeing when I talk to members right now is they too are throwing together their kitchen sink to throw over, over to the Biden administration, that the Biden administration can be like, oh my gosh, this is way too much in cut. This is way too terrible. 
and then hopefully somewhere they find something in there. And, you know, you got to walk before you run. So even getting some spending reductions, something I remember being at the, t- you know, working years ago when the, the, the origins of the House Freedom Caucus were debating Obama um, and they came up with this sequester, which is if we can't come up with a budget, we're going to automatically cut the military and automatically cut social spending. And frankly, that was the only cuts we've gotten in the last 20 years. It was a terrible piece of legislation, but it actually had its desired effect in slowing spending. So it is possible. I have seen this happen. And so what, what ends up getting put in there? That's why I look at things like these unused COVID monies that I would take a look at, because at the end of the day, you're not actually cutting something. You're just taking something away that hasn't been spent already. And frankly, I think we've already declared that the COVID emergency is over. There are billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars there, hundreds that we would be able to cancel. And I would look at that as a great start. Uh, Adam, how do people support FreedomWorks if they want to help? Well, first of all, call your congressman and demand that they cut spending is the first thing you can do. But we can help you do that. Just go to freedomworks.org um, or we're on all your big, your big and small social media platforms. And thanks a lot for the time and I will help you back soon. All right. Take care. We'll be right back. I'm American made. All right, thanks a lot to Zach Jones, who puts the show together. Bill Barnett helps us produce the live show. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And the most important of all, all of you who listen and tell 10,000 friends and family members about what we're doing. Can't thank you enough. And we'll talk to you next time.